Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Joined by um, a crime writer who, um, when she was a teenager living in in, uh, remote rural Norfolk, um, stuck a picture of Robert Smith by the mirror in her darkened bedroom in order to help her um, construct what she described as his tarantula hair. And various of her pals at that time were sitting around in trees reading Dennis Wheatley and summoning up Satan. And... uh, she always said that being a goth was something that you never fully recover from. In fact, you never want to recover from it. And uh, all this is, um, is detailed in her fantastic, very, very funny and very fascinating and informative book, Season of the Witch, the Book of Goth, uh, which also has a, a, a wonderful description of the goth family tree, which we'll get on to in a moment, the DNA of goth, the goth fathers and the goth mothers. We discover that, uh, you know, the Brontes are... Directly related to um, the Sisters of Mercy. Anyway, Kathy Unsworth. Of course they are. We knew that anyway. Kathy, very good. Well, look, we'll, we're going to get on to your, your teenage goth years in a moment, but just to talk about the goth fathers and goth mothers, um, we're looking at a slide now of, um, of Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley and uh, the Brontes, Alistair Crowley and Aubrey Beardsley. I mean, give us some clues as to, as to, as to, their, to, their, to their goth credentials. Well, I came to realise, actually, after I'd done a few of my talks, even after, even after I'd finished writing the book, I hadn't quite put together how it was. But I realised all these people have something in common, and I think what they do is they poetically put, either into art or into words or... Beardsley's amazing drawings or Alistair Crowley's spells, they put a strange moment of history into an art form that we remember. And I realised sort of Percy Shelley writing um, The Mask of Anarchy at the time of the Peter Lee massacre. And then my book charts the Thatcher years and she boasts about being in power as long as Lord Liverpool, who was the Prime Minister when the Peter Lee massacre happened. And William Blake writing about the dark satanic mills at the start of the Industrial Revolution. And then 
Justin Sullivan from New Model Army quoting Jerusalem in his song 1984 about the miners' strike, which is the end of the Industrial Revolution in our country. So I think all, what all these people have in common is that they're a part of our DNA. They, uh, they express the darkness of, of the times that particularly working-class people are made to bear the brunt of. But you see, but so one of the dimensions of goth is it's, it's history, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's history. It was, it was never called history rock, was it? <laughs> no, <laughs> and I think this is probably why I, I mean, some of the reviews that, that have come out lately of like, people reviewing my book and Lowell Tolhurst's book and John Robb's book, are all, they kind of make these snide little comments about us, you know, goths being really the Walter the softies of... of youth culture because goths are readers. We all know that Bill Hicks. Well, yes, we've got a reader and interested <laughs> in history and eloquent and, and perhaps because I know goth is very female friendly and it's very gender fluid and so maybe it's an easy thing for people to knock but it was So were you a bookish child? I was, yes. And I had my house of books. Fortunately my parents being great readers and and that's how I discovered that little Dennis Wheatley paperback glowing from the shelves <laughs> in its sulphurous yellow jacket. Yeah, I'm going to say, I think we've got it. We've oh, got we have a picture actually, of that. We're going yeah. to go, there you go. There Dennis Wheatley. This is to the I, devil a daughter. This, this is the first time we've talked about Dennis Wheatley in the course of Wording yeah. Your Ear, which I think is long overdue. It, it long is, overdue. it is. We're going to make yeah. up for that now. Yeah. But it is a major yeah. cornerstone, a foundation of golf, isn't it? He Explain really why. Is. Well... The thing was, I couldn't quite understand. My parents had all these various worthy tomes in their bookshelf, but they had this little corner, and all the jackets wear this sulfurous yellow. One was called The Satanist. One was called... So I thought, I have to read these. So I snuck them out under the pillow at night with the torch, listening to John Peel in the background. <laughs> and Dennis Wheatley had this definition of what a Satanist was, which was... It was somebody who was determined to disrupt the status quo to ferment class hatred, strikes, general disturbances, which then, of course, I'd seen Margaret Thatcher on TV talking about the cult of the individual. I suddenly, of course, realised, shit, she's a Satanist. Margaret Thatcher <laughs> is doing the work of Satan. But, but the, thing, the thing about Dennis Wheatley is it's, it's worth reminding people, he was a best-selling author, he wasn't He was it? an incredibly best-selling author for a really long time. I think only rivaled by Agatha Christie. Yes. And, and my parents' generation thought he was brilliant, but they also... I remember my parents going, don't get too involved in this, because <laughs> Dennis Wheatley did, and he put a warning in his books, you know, if you get too involved in this, you could end up hanging out with Christopher Lee. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Alistair Crowley. Yeah. But, so, yes. so you're just talking about other things that, uh, that you mention in your book as forming kind of part of the background to goth, or like, you know, the yeah. hinterland of goth, so to speak. Yeah. The mo movies like Cabaret, Cabaret yeah. Clockwork Orange, what was the appeal of those? I think, well, those two movies are quite pivotal on those early goth bands, and it, I would, the first four that I put in there, and they probably would say, we're not goths, but I'm saying Joy Division, Susie and the Banshees, The Cure, and Magazine, all came directly from their involvement with the Sex Pistols or being inspired by the Sex Pistols and those films. And I did spend a lot of time talking about why certain bands, particularly the Banshees and Joy Division, used Nazi imagery quite a lot. 
And I think that quite a lot of that was to do with Cabaret and the Weimar, the Weimar right. Republic. It was it, quite chic, wasn't it? It was world. sticking your two green fingers up to authority and being decadent and throwing... You know, it was quite a grim time, wasn't it? The winter of discontent. And this was throwing a glass of champagne into the face of adversity in many ways, I think. Right, them. right. And Clockwork Orange, I mean, the, yeah. the violence. Yeah, the, the droogy look, the, his eyelashes. The makeup and... and yeah. That whole, yeah. yeah. And the fact that friends of mine, he were around, my friend, the Shend from the very things, he could remember in Birmingham at the time, there were Droog Wars versus Ziggy Wars. So there were Ziggy boys having fights with Droogs. And that's part of the reason that Kubrick banned it, isn't it? Because he he was... Yeah, he was bothered about that, wasn't he? He was really worried. Unsurprisingly. Tell us about your upbringing. You, 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 you brought up in, what, East Anglia? Yeah, in the middle of a field, literally, in the <laughs> middle of a field in Norfolk. And the middle of a field can be quite scary when you're young. You know, try looking at a field full of Brussels sprouts in a low mist in the wintertime. It's the <laughs> spookiest part of the country, isn't it? Seriously, East Anglia is the spookiest part it's of the country. It's very well haunted. And there's also this demon dog who... He goes around East Anglia and is called Old Chuck. And if you, he's got glowing red eyes. And if you look in his eyes, within three days you die. So there was no streetlights where we lived. And walking to the nearest village was about a mile's trek. Half of it down a little cart track with the Brussels sprouts glowing like a 50s B-movie of invading aliens. <laughs> And then just this main road with no pavement and a steep bank on each side where you could really easily get killed. So We made our own entertainment in those days. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I always got the feeling when you drove through those villages, there was always a a war memorial in the middle of the place. And the local youth were always gathered round the local round the war memorial. Was that the case? That's it was the bus shelter. Just usually one goth. Bus shelter. <laughs> yeah, what, was, one goth, one Ted, yeah, one it was rocker. Like a was, one bus town, the one bus out of town, pump. and yeah. the bus shelter was situated quite conveniently near one of the two pubs, which quite conveniently had a fag machine. But before you actually got into the bar in the little corridor outside where enterprising young villains could sneak packets of fags, tease them out without any adults seeing. And then we could huddle round our 20 John Player specials in the bus shelter (laughs) with a little rubbish tape recorder listening to The Cure and discussing their lyrics. So you, you discovered all them. I think your first, the first big show you went to was, the, was it York Festival? The York oh, Rock Festival. Yeah, we got a slide of it, I think. That's you. That's what I was like. We're now looking yeah. at a that picture of Kathy. That is a Catholic. splendid photograph. <laughs> that really is. Just describe the picture for people who are listening and can't see it. It's well, fantastic. You, I think and where can, it's taken as well. I think you can see what my influences were on that one, can't you? That's the Susie Sue eye makeup. But a bit of a Davanian phantasmagoria era shirt I was very in awe of Dave and his wife Laurie actually was a brilliant seamstress and they had this shop um, called Symphony of Shadows in um, opposite Kensington Market which was the place to visit when you were a young goth and used to save all our money up to get those 
Mars Bars, one pound tokens to get the coach to London and go to Kensington Market. And opposite was this place called Hyper Hyper. And Laurie yes. and Dave had their shop. And I remember the excitement of seeing Dave zooming up on his big black motorbike, which had Vanian and, and cool letters <laughs> written. And like getting off his motorbike. And I was like, oh my God, it's Dave Vanian in the daylight. And he's not even disintegrating. <laughs> Didn't he just evaporate or just... <laughs> I expected <laughs> yeah. that he would. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but you, they, tell us about... The, this, is for, this is your kind of coming out as so a goth, yeah, this, this, was, this gig. It was amazing. It was gothtopia. So it was Echo and the Bunnymen headlining, preceded by Spear of Destiny, who were one of my favourite bands. And he, quite a lot of the young men, when I was growing up, wanted to look like Kirk Brandon. So loads of them wanted to look like Ian McCulloch with his lovely black moulet. And then there was Kirk and his shiny white flat top. He'd, he'd gone like a bit beer boy at the time, but in my head it's the classic flat top and his Davy Crockett jacket that made him look... And then it was Sisters of Mercy, again appearing in daylight. <laughs> scary. And then the chameleons, who I, I like them. They may be a little prog for some people, but I don't mind things being slightly on the prog side. And then to start with the Redskins, who were nothing to do with goth, but really good friends with Sisters of Mercy, so they're part of the same scene. So, and they were the kind of socialist workers' party skinheads. So they Leeds. were in broad daylight on York Racecourse, yes. which is the least it's just simply, it's, it's pastoral, it's rural, isn't it? And I know. It's, and it's sunny, probably, so it all completely and wrong. she said it was York, it could have been York Minster, That's couldn't perfect. it? perfect. Yeah, it should it be. It could have been the shambles the where that Tower red museum devil is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Castle Museum. But no, were, you, were you already converted to goth? Or was, was this the moment? I mean, had you heard it all the radio? Oh, no, totally converted by then. This was like... This goth, was the moment. This was like goth Woodstock for me. So you or, went home and just... That's great. What Threw you, away the clothes you were wearing. And what were you wearing when you went? Uh, did you leave the house wearing the yes. same clothing that you... Okay, I did, on. because my parents had got used to it by then. Even though my mum was quite happy with it because she was a beatnik, but my dad was trad dad, and he was disgusted. But he, even he had got used to it by then. So I think I went... What I was really proud of in those days was that I had this red silk paisley dressing gown that I wore with that sort of shirt and black jeans and winkle picker boots. How old were you at the time? 16. 16. <laughs> so during the day, you're in school, normal school uniform or whatever, and then... But at school, we were supposed to wear navy blue, but I wore black. But at the time, they just got fed up with us after a while and just... But I did hide... So did you go straight to events after school? Did you go and change in the loos and all that kind of stuff? I did have my winkle pickers in my desk at school, yeah. so I could fit them on. And, <laughs> and the fishnet tights as well, which obviously... Some things had to be hidden, but... Right. So another... Going back to the business of the background, we're very interested in this. The you know the, the figure of Cruella Deville mm. from which who we all know from One Hundred and One Dalmatians. Yeah, tell us about her and her influence. Well, I got called Cruella for ages. Before I had the blue in my hair, it's just white with a black stripe, and every perfect <laughs> but anyway I know I 101 Dalmatians was a formative influence on my childhood self I, I read that book at least 101 times <laughs> you serious honestly yeah no I loved it yeah yeah but yeah I don't and she, think... was, she was one of the first kind of 
frightening female figures that even I remember from. Yeah, the night those they were quite thirties, weren't they? Those and they got that Art Deco-y look, and Queen Maleficent even better actually in in Sleeping Beauty with her pet raven that comes to whisper yes. in yes. her ear, her Genuinely little spy. Yeah, and my mum used to say. Isn't it interesting how in Disney films all the really evil characters are clever and beautiful and all the good characters are stupid? It's <laughs> <laughs> because they're not plotting, are they? They've no, just been plotted against most of the time. But no, yeah, I think you're right. Something about that Art Deco sinister look. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And the, and the uh, what is it, the, the Wickedest Witch? The Wickedest Witch in the World was another formative influence because it was about this witch that was at least 100 years old, but she still looked about 16 because she was so good at putting her makeup on. <laughs> so I think about her every single day when I look in the mirror and put my makeup well, on. Well, as a 16-year-old, what were your major investments? Records or Re- makeup? Both. Well, no, more records, actually. Because I remember one of my friends getting really annoyed with me. I used to work in this rubbish guest house and for a pound an hour and I used to get about 40 quid a week and then go to Norwich on Saturday on the, on the train and spend it all in Bax Records which was our equivalent of Rough Trade and my friend used to go you, know, you could spend more on makeup and clothes and I was like but I want, I'll have these records and I still have got those records right, right. so I was always a bit cheapskate and I used to make my own clothes out of Curtains so, and things. Oh, really? So you didn't find. send it. You didn't send it. There was there a kind of big mail order goth kind of. No, so I'm serious because you know from from you know smash hits, smash hits. Yeah. Yeah. You could, always, you, yeah. could buy, you could buy leopard skin bum flaps or whatever yeah, if you, you wanted could, to be a punk. Well, I think there was in every town there probably was a sort of rip off or big city. There certainly was in Norwich, and I think there probably was in. No, there was dead clothes in Leeds, and there was various places where you could go that did copies of all that stuff. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Goodbye. It was the indoor market, St. Benedict's Indoor Market in Norwich. You could buy sort of knock off Vivian Westwood and 
So did your father never say, you're not going out dressed like that? Was, it, no, was none of that ever, ever happened? <laughs> he, he didn't say that, but one of my favourite times was when he came to meet me at the train station and the last time he saw me, I had white hair and I dyed it black overnight. And he just looked at me and he looked around the station and he went, all the other dads are looking at me in sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> and you would have thought, yes. Yeah. <laughs> But you, so you got this kind of aesthetic. Yeah. And, and what are you doing? Are you kind of scanning everything for, for, for you know, things that are sympathetic to that aesthetic? You know, we're thinking yeah. about the music stuff, you know, because it's not just the obvious stuff. It's kind of, I don't know, Bobby Gentry or Nancy Sinatra. Or it, yeah. It's anything that's a bit spooky, isn't it? Yeah. Is that right? And there are certain bands like the Cramps would talk a lot about the, the songs the Lord taught them, and they would talk about that. And Lydia Lunch talks a lot about Lee Hazelwood and Nancy Sinatra. Right. And, and actually, Dave Anian of The Damned had lots of really... He, people like Barry Ryan, spooky old Barry Ryan, and they did that Eloise, which yes, is a really yes. faithful cover of the original, isn't it? And then yeah. you find out Barry Ryan's got quite a strange backstory as well, and Bobby Gentry's got an amazing backstory where she... She just disappears at the height of her yes. fame and nobody knows. And don't you think that's probably the cleverest move that anyone ever no, made? No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Jim Morrison gets a, quite a, a mention earlier on. Yeah, I to think... do with all the literature and the stuff in his lyrics and the things he read? Or what was the attraction there? Well, apparently The Doors were the first, people, first band to be called Gothic. And I do think all roads lead to Jim. I think there's something about... The, it's not just... It's not just how gorgeous Jim was and how he was the Lizard King. It's how brilliant the band were, how what an amazing haunting, beautiful sound and how, I mean the same could be said and we were talking earlier about how Nick Drake's one of the reasons he's so untouchable is that he made those records and that's it and it's the same with the Doors, isn't it? They made perfect records and then that's it. They've well, that's the definition gone. of a story, isn't it? It's got an ending. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But you can't summon it back again. No, so. no, no. But I also did find it really amusing that the three Ians of Goth... But mate, it's tragic, but it ends on an amusing note that first Ian Curtis summons the Lizard King back. And he does sound so much like him, doesn't he? Mm. And he has this tragic, really tragic end. And the morning that he's hung himself his wife wakes up thinking that she's hearing this is the end by the doors on the radio and it's her dream but when she goes to the house there he is dead tragedy then ian mcculloch sort of summons him back as well and the doors do you like my fire i mean the bunny men do you like my fire is there encore and ray manzarek comes to see them backstage at whiskey a go-go and you know but then when Ian McCulloch gets dumped from the Bunnymen, Pete DeFreight, as their drummer, gets killed on the first rehearsal without Ian McCulloch, so no. But then the third time as fast as Ian Asprey, isn't it? And he actually becomes Jim Morrison. Yes, yes, he did. <laughs> he was brief, joined the doors, didn't he, for yeah. a while? That's right. Perfect. It's all come full circle. So you're looking for these stories all the time, aren't you? I mean, how much of the how much you are interested in this? Uh, it relates to your interest in writing and writing novels. And yeah, stuff, right? I think that the novels, I think it's... Because I started off being a music journalist. And I might say I owe a lot to you two from reading smash hits when I was little. The whole way I write about music, I think, probably comes from 
you know, scanning the first smash hits I bought had Killing Joke on the front oh, cover. Oh, oh, right, yes. Yeah, so, so the ley line starts there, but then... Yeah, the swingerillion Killing yeah. Joke. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> I don't know. It was. Something like that. Yeah. Corky O'Reilly, it's the Sisters of Mercy. Yeah. <laughs> Corky O'Rourke. It's Joker Jazz and his merry man. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> But yeah, then so then, but then I did write six crime novels, and you know, noir fiction and goth is not—it's all an exploration of what makes people do the horrible things that they do. But I also think, obviously, writing crime fiction, you have to tell a good story, don't you? You have yeah, to sure. keep the pages turning. So then, I guess I had enough skills after all these years of writing to present a story as big, as sprawling, as epic as goth as as if it was a novel in a way. I tried to write it like it was, like the country's come under this cloak of darkness. Dennis Wheatley's prophecy has come true to the devil a daughter. Now she's in control of the country and only this disparate band of, of strange people can save us. You're the resistance, <laughs> yes. You're like a Stephen King tribe or something. Yeah. Took to the hills. Well, we, yeah. I, I mean, that's the, the other thing about goth and is just how long and how... How long it's gone on, obviously. Yeah. yeah. It is still going on, it is it? It is still going on, yeah. I've had some really beautiful young goths come into some of my talks who are only like 13, 14, 15, looking amazing. And, and where, where's it, where's it entered their lives? Well, some of it has come from the Wednesday reboot that Tim Burton's done. And it's really interesting that he chose the cramps, you know. He had that. Goo Goo Muck song for her to do, even though it's a really cleaned up version from the Cramps original. But I know my 14 year old niece is really into the Cramps now because of that. And she also, because obviously um, her dad, my brother, was into all this music as I was. And then so he played her the birthday party and she went, oh my God. And so that's her favourite two bands now. Um, but they've come at it, there's loads of bands that they're into that they told me about. and. They've, and what's really nice about it, I think, is they're developing it away from the internet and social media. Right. They've almost gone back to the old ways of doing Around the war memorial. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an idea, wouldn't it, really? Yeah, exactly. So, is it possible to be a goth and not dress accordingly? Hmm. Can you, you know... Interesting, Paul. Well, you can have a in goth spirit without you know looking like you can just go home and listen to the records or whatever but yeah, you well, can you're obliged to make a statement me. but I think part of the allure and appeal of it is you know that romantic way of dressing and you know getting, right. getting the most out of that can of hairspray and you know it's for me anyway <laughs> and how much is it about being in a group of people who are well, it was very much the weirdos against the beer people when I was growing up. And as we were sort of saying earlier, in these small town places, it might not... There'd be a few little goths, then we can spot each other over long distances, no yes. problem, you know. That's but... a lovely idea, isn't it? That you actually see another member of the species yeah. over there. Well, you see, you that's could... the thing that's really important. <laughs> it's gone with social media. Right? It has, yeah. Yeah. 
But because John Lennon and Paul McCartney always, used, I think John Lennon used to say this: we'd seen each other around town yeah. years before we'd it, met. That's exactly yeah. Because it. they just noticed that there was a guy who had a hairstyle who had a, a little bit like theirs or whatever. Yeah. You know, that's exactly it. And Mick and Keith seeing the record that yes, they were carrying right. yeah. at the train yeah, station. Yeah, yeah. It was that you would see, and because our local record shop, Woolsey and Woolsey, had see-through bag so you could pose around town this with what you is it yeah. it's like, somebody else likes the sisters of mercy yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah definitely so um you, <laughs> talk, well there's, there's a lovely bit in the book where you talk about where you compare really margaret thatcher and susie and in fact thatcher is quite a big part of the of the arc of goth well, goth she, appears to start when she comes into power and we'll get to it in a minute but it appears to end when she when she's when she's booted out really but what's the comparison what's the point you're making with, with well, Susie and, and it was and really Thatcher? it came to me um I set the whole book in the trajectory of the Thatcher years from when she gets voted into when she gets booted out and it came to me really because I did this book with Jordan and obviously had gone into quite a lot about Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood and how they disrupted the music business. And I had this book that Peter York had written about the 80s and he talked about um, Margaret Thatcher's mentor, this guy called Alfred Sherman. Mm -hmm. He sounded very similar. He came from this very... He was Jewish East End guy. He had been a communist. He'd gone to Spain. He'd fought against Franco in the Second World War. He'd worked in the secret services... And he became disillusioned with communism and took up this um, free market ideology. Um, but he couldn't sell it. He founded this think tank with Keith Joseph, who was, again, he was Jewish. So they were both sort of outsiders, but Keith Joseph came from this public school, very, you know, well-to-do background. So it was like this little rebel-rousing guy. And this, but they couldn't sell it until they met this provincial grocer's daughter, which was the same as Malcolm. He had all these mad ideas that he wanted to, you know... And Peter York was saying this about Alfred Sherman. He had ideas crazed that he wanted to inflict and spread like a virus, but neither of them could get their ideas sold until they had Vivian and Margaret Thatcher. And Vivian came from, you know, provincial grocer's daughter from Derbyshire. So... That really interested me as the idea that these people who disrupted things... And, you know, now we've had however many years of eaten prime ministers again. You just think... I try to really dispassionately for a minute not... Just look, how did she manage to achieve this? She was working class, really. She was a woman. How the hell did she do it? And it was... I just thought it was really interesting. This late 70s time, everything gets disrupted. And, you know, in a way, Susie comes from Malcolm's vision. Yeah. You know, she gets her chance because of that punk rock festival in 1976 when she spontaneously creates the Banshees. So Malcolm's her enabler. And both of them have this kind of dominatrixy image as well, don't they? And the they? hair's very important with yeah, both of them. Yeah, the hair is really important. And uh, um, it's Bernard Ingham, her, Margaret Thatcher's... PA, wasn't he, or press, press, press person, person, sorry. Yeah. But he'd worked for Barbara Castle before, and he, yeah, yeah. he said Margaret Thatcher was obsessed with Barbara Castle's hair, and her hair was better than Margaret Thatcher's, and she could never quite get over the fact. <laughs> well, it's, it's hugely important in politics, as in lots of things. And so you've talked a bit, I mean, 
You've talked a bit about, you know, um, Joy Division and, and magazine and and and, cure, and the Cure, yeah, as being kind of very formative. But isn't it amazing? The Cure is still huge, still just, massive. Thirty million Cure fans can't be wrong, can they? It's yeah. just absolutely. Well, how do you account for that? Well, yeah. I would say it goes back to that again from Smash Hits, that picture of Bob I had on my wall. Anyone can be Bob, right? Su- Susie is so beautiful and so it's be very difficult to try and achieve. But Bob's look is achievable, isn't it? He's <laughs> what do you mean, just look like a mess? Is that just, well, just you know. Very badly applied lipstick. Well, I used to do that as well. I can remember going into Boots and the lady behind the counter going, you smudged your lipstick, love. And it's like, it's meant to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, his whole look is, it's good, you know, it's easy, it's, you just mesh your hair up, pyjama top, bit, rosary beads, I found that quite easy to pull off that look. So, so for, the, for, for a lot of those people who flock to this, it, it's very comforting, the fact that they kind of can't get anything wrong, you know, you're not intimidated no. by the people on stage. But although I did think, when I started writing the book, I thought Robert Smith is so much, he's so clever... Because if you were a goth girl and you went on a date with Robert Smith, he'd take you to, out for a nice cup of tea and then you'd curl up by the fire. And go. Whereas if you went on a date with Nick Cave, he'd take you into the woods, smash you over the head with a stone, throw you down a well. But then I started looking at the, the lyrics. Allegedly. <laughs> that's the image, that's the, what you get out of Nick Cave's no, lyrics, okay. isn't it? You know, he's yeah. sort of the big bad wolf in your little red riding hood yeah. and down into that well you're going to go. And Anyway, but then when I started reading back the lyrics, I thought, actually, Robert Smith has killed as many as Nick Cave. <laughs> <laughs> so it took quite a long while for him to get to that cuddly little love cat. And then when, after he'd done that, he came back and did some pretty nasty stuff after that. Too. We must ask you about the Batcave. I think you were, you were too young to actually I go, weren't you? But the Batcave is the kind of... Uh, is a focal point, is it? For it the, was for a real melting pot, a meeting yeah. place for all these bands. And like I said in the book, I think that, you know, different... All these... Like the Banshees would go down there. Lydia went down there. Nick Cave... And this was in Dean Street, very near where we are now, wasn't it? 69 Dean Street, an incredible London ley line where lots of other... It was Nell Gwynne's house at the time of Charles II. His mistress, she lived there. And it became the Gargoyle Club, which was David Tennant, brother of Stephen Tennant. So that was all the sort of... The, the bright young things of the 20s oh, were there. It's very Peter Ackroyd, isn't it? That is there, Everything in London yes. reverts to its ancient purpose. Psychogeography. Yeah, I suppose. Putting the psycho into geography. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but sadly, you were too young to go Sadly, I could only redirect it in smash hits and yeah. sounds. And, yeah. But I know that Lydia Lunster, she was down there once and she had to do this show in Halloween. And, and she was there with Mark Almond. Nick Cave and Jim Thurwell, a.k.a. Vetus, and she went, shall we just do this thing? And they did this cabaret troupe called the Immaculate Consumptive. And goth royalty. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That is a goth supergroup, really, it is. isn't it? So, <laughs> <laughs> so I think it was like the F Club in Leeds. It was one of these places where lots of bands came out of a few little pubs in Leeds. It was the, um, the Fono and... Um, <coughs> 
the warehouse and the Faversham pub where they all used to go and the F Club and Soft Cell and uh, Annie Hogan who played piano for Mark and the Mumps but she's involved in quite a lot of Soft Cell she was the DJ and Claire Shearsby was the DJ at the F Club when Andrew Eldritch emerged from under the dark arches um, after leaving Cambridge University to study he wanted to study Chinese and they wouldn't let him at Cambridge. So he left his watery homeland of Ely. And re-emerged in Leeds. And re-emerged like so heroin with the What was weight. it about Leeds? We, we've got a picture of it up behind us, you know, the, the, the vaults. We've got the, the soft yeah. cell, the mission and Sisters of Mercy. There was yeah. something about Leeds that was very, very goth. Well, I did, when doing all the sort of history of the Wars of the Roses and, and the Civil War, the planes of the battles are very similar and then in 1984 the minor strike it would all take place in West Yorkshire with these same spots the Battle of Wakefield the Battle of Orgreave they're all it is like psychogeography it's where the battles for England's soul have taken place so I guess it had to converge on these I love the idea because I come from around there you know I love the idea that Yorkshire or Leeds was waiting for its moment of pop music you know for yeah. years the twist, no, no good. <laughs> Surf music, no, no good. Then finally something comes on that's about being miserable. Yes. Yeah. Like, yes! <laughs> this is our music. Song. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think you had your proto-prophet in Jake Thackeray. He's my... Yes. Yeah. The, the most brilliant wordsmith that Leeds ever... Well, maybe battling with... Um, on a par with Keith Waterhouse yes. for the best wordsmith of Leeds. Yeah. But, yeah. but those, uh, we, we're looking at a picture of the arches, which is the still un arches. underneath Leeds City Station. If you're, if you're ever going in there, going to, I wander down there. It really is, it's like a set out of a movie, isn't it? Yeah, and of course the great painter of the night, John Atkinson Grimshaw. Well, yes, of course. From Leeds. Of course. How could it not happen there? <laughs> and... And so this still continues in, in, in almost showbiz fashion <laughs> with the Whitby Goth the Whitby Festival, Goth Fest, yes. which Have takes place been? every year. Have you been? I haven't been to the Goth Fest, I must ashamed to say, but I have obviously been to Whitby many times and can obviously see how Bram Stoker just wrote Dracula by looking out of the window there and seeing that harbour and, you know, Whitby Abbey up on the clifftop and it all coming in off the North Sea towards him. And I think he did find the name Dracula in a library, in a, a book really? about Vlad Dracul in Whitby. So, of course, it would have to happen. So there. people will still be turning up, you know, in full kind of gothic costume yeah. in their 70s and 80s? And I think they will, yeah. Why not? Are we just going to hold you up all right, isn't it? All that corset yeah. trees. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Boots with steel plates on the front. Exactly. exactly. So, so finally, who's your who's your ultimate goth hero and heroine? Oh gosh, that's really hard. Well, the two people that I guess I love the most who have I've, I've named them both for quite a long time, and I find really inspiring, and perhaps never really get their due, and perhaps don't really want to be called goth. But I would say Lydia Lunch and Barry Adamson would be my two favourites out of the book. Right, right. Yeah. Well, there's the book, uh, Season the Witch, The Book of Goth. It's absolutely <laughs> thumping good read. It's really, <laughs> really you. good. Uh, Copies are freely available. Well, not freely available, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> 
you have to pay for them. But, uh, but Cathy, we're very, very pleased to sign them. We're so. delighted to. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Ladies you and gentlemen, so Cathy Unsworth. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Thank you.